1: In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And there's Jerry to my right. This is stuff you should know. Why are your eyes closed? Oh, it is it creeping you out? You
1: sound like uh, sweaty balls, Alec Baldwin's "Sweaty <laughs> yeah. Balls" skit good from Saturday Night Live. Man, that just that wafted right over here. Now I'm
0: all mellow. You mellow?
1: Yeah. You, Irie? Yes, I love that. The beginning of this article um, talks about uh, Botox. I
0: and, thought it was a pretty good. Uh... Well, good intro.
1: It was though. It said like you know, one day we're going to look back on injecting uh, botulinum toxin A into your face and think that's just crazy.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: I'm like I think it's crazy now. Oh, okay. You yeah. know,
0: yeah. I see what you mean. It's nuts. Uh, yeah, if you step back and look at it, for sure. Paralyzing your face muscles to look younger. Yeah, especially if you've ever seen Dead Calm. Why? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, with the. Out on the water with the boat? Yeah, remember he said that's what happened to the other people on the boat, is that they all got botulism and died? Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, that was his whole... That was his whole whole setup? His excuse or his explanation for what happened was botulism. Hmm. But, yeah, that's what I think of when I think botulism is dead calm. (laughs) Yeah, and and with Botox, he ended up looking like a freak. Oh, don't
1: be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental, but...
0: (laughs) It was pretty judgmental.
1: No, yeah, that's judgmental, I guess. But yeah, okay. I think I think it, it. That's my stance: is if you want to do that, then more power to you. But I think people look weird
0: when they look <laughs> consistently surprised. So they don't they don't use it just for that. Oh no, they use to treat migraines, mm-hmm. uh, excessive sweatiness. Ooh, I should get it. Also known as hyperhidrosis. Yeah. What um, Botox?
1: Mm-hmm. What, like in the uh, armpit or the hands?
0: Yeah, like directly in there. I guess this toxin goes in and like deadens the the nerve cells maybe I can't um, remember the point is we're both agreed sure even in a roundabout way that it is a very strange bizarre you might say mm-hmm. medical treatment to inject toxin into your face to look youthful
1: yeah i was judgy i, I take it all back it's all right man. people want to do what they want to do that's fine i just uh, my personal feeling is that It doesn't have the desired effect to make you look like you think you look. Proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, Chuck, botulism, botulin, Mm -hmm. Botox, we should say, is pretty much nothing compared to some of the other stuff that we've used in the past. And in some cases still continue to use because... This is all based on an article on House Divorce called 10 Bizarre Treatments Doctors Used to Think We're Legit. It turns out that some of this stuff actually still is legit.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, we should plug our friends over at Sawbones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Justin and his wife, uh, Dr. Sidney McElroy. And Justin does the My Brother and My Brother and Me podcast with his brothers. Hmm. They have a spinoff, not spinoff, they have their own podcast called right. Sawbones where they talk about right. antiquated medical. Uh, so that's all they talk about. Right. Is antiquated medical treatments. And they said they were inspired by our podcast to start that one.
0: Yeah, but every time we send somebody over to listen to them, they don't come back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: So. Stop it. I Alcorroids. guess. <laughs> yeah, we created a monster.
1: <laughs> but anyway, um we are in turn inspired by them and, uh, it's just a big, uh, Love fest. We're blowing smoke each up each other's butts. Tobacco smoke. <laughs> I tried to see if that was literally where that term came from—to mm-hmm. blow smoke up up your arse. Mm-hmm. But uh, all it did was redirect to the fact that people used to do this for real, and I don't know if that's really where the term came from or not.
0: I don't. I don't either. I can tell you where the treatment supposedly came from. Yeah, It came from a legend. It looks like a legend. I think at the time they took it as a factual story that a man. Rescued his drowned wife from a river, I think in France, and um, didn't know what to do. And a soldier just happened to walk by and said, take this pipe and blow the smoke, like stick one end into her rectum and blow on the lid end until she comes to.
1: I don't think we've even said yet what we're talking about, which is a tobacco (laughs) enema. We're no sawbones. Tobacco enemas literally blowing tobacco smoke up the rectum of an individual for a health reason.
0: Right. And in this case, the original reason was to revive a drowning victim, which is apparently what it was initially used for uh, when it came into widespread use. And I guess it was in widespread use. And apparently it did work. In this initial legend, the wife came to on the fifth blow (laughs) and went to a local bar and got a drink and then went home after being resuscitated from drowning, and then having a pipe in her rectum with smoke blown up her butt. Yes. <laughs> and um, there, there's speculation that if if it did work, it was the intrusion of the pipe or later on the bellows uh-huh. that probably did it. But the thinking at the time was that nicotine was a stimulant and that this would directly stimulate the person back to life. That's right. Uh,
1: you mentioned drowning victims, that it was so commonly used as a method for helping drowning victims that this equipment was, um, put alongside major waterways. Like, very much like we would have a, um, defibrillator today. Mm -hmm. They had these along, like, the River Thames and you had to know where they were. And, uh, in 1774, doctors William Hawes and Thomas Cogan, um, in London formed the institution for affording immediate relief to persons apparently dead from drowning. And they later changed that name to the Royal Humane Society. That makes a lot, that's a lot better. (laughs) And they uh, promoted this uh, method by paying people four guineas, uh, to anyone who could successfully revive a drowning victim.
0: Huh. I'll bet in those kits along the waterways, you go to use it and the tobacco would be missing because local 12 year olds (laughs) had gotten into it.
1: That's a good point. Uh, and there was even a little rhyme at the British Medical Association in 1774 at a meeting. Um, tobacco glister, cause it was also called a uh, glister, G-L-Y-S-T-E-R, mm-hmm. these kits. Uh, tobacco glister, breathe and bleed, keep warm and rub till you succeed and spare no pains for what you do may one day be repaid to you.
0: <laughs> what is going on? Uh, you know, what goes around comes around. What's going on in I the 18th what century that's in, to in say. England? where i guess if you're in if you're giving a tobacco enema to somebody and you know that that little rhyme sure you probably would stop cuz you'd be like i don't want this coming back to me i'd I guess, just yeah. rather pass on to the next world
1: uh well dr richard mead was the first guy who pioneered this in mid 1700s and by 1811 it was kaput cuz they were like no this is not working and it's bad for you
0: yeah and you're blowing smoke up someone's butt right what are you thinking And then later on, doctors were used to prescribe cigarettes going through the other end. That's right. Which is all untrue, supposedly. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess that was an Edward Bernays thing.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Intent. Um, all right. Next up, we have a Mercury. Um, if you've ever heard or if you've ever seen the awesome exhibit, the Terracotta Soldiers, Mm -hmm. did you ever see that? No. Um, China's uh, first emperor,
0: Qin Shi Huang, um, he was the one with the terracotta soldiers?
1: Yeah, he was the one that was buried in like this basically underground city that was so vast mm-hmm. and had all these terracotta soldiers guarding him. Right. And his own specific tomb, they've, they've, I was about to say raided much of it, but they've explored much of it, but not his actual tomb still because it has a moat of liquid mercury around it.
0: So he's still in situ because of the local. Yeah. That's pretty neat.
1: Pretty neat. And um, he took the stuff as... Uh, To make himself immortal, um, which is ironic because it's super toxic and it killed him before he was 40.
0: Yeah. But... Had the opposite effect. It did. Um, His death didn't apparently get out to the rest of the world because mercury was used in other kinds of medicines for a very long time. Apparently up until the 40s, um, if you had syphilis, your doctor would give you some sort of ointment, sometimes an injection of mercury... To treat syphilis, yeah, and it may or may not have treated the syphilis, but it would definitely make your teeth fall out <laughs> and uh, make you what would, I guess, generously be called agitated. Yes, it had. There's a host of horrible things that can happen to you from mercury exposure.
1: Yeah, like death. Um, Cinnabar was what they used in uh, China as the ore of mercury for two thousand years, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's just I find it crazy that. I know it was the first emperor of of, uh, China, so it was a long Mm -hmm. time ago. But it just seems weird that hey, take this thing to make you live forever when it's actually one of the most toxic things you can put in your body. Yes,
0: they had it backwards. Supposedly, Jeremy Piven had mercury poisoning in two thousand eight from sushi. Right? He was eating sushi twice a day. I remember that.
1: (laughs) And then I heard
0: that.
1: (laughs) And then I think I remember hearing that that wasn't true, Mm -hmm. and it was. Maybe it was like made up to get out of a movie or something. I don't know. I have to look into that again. I definitely remember when that happened, though. Yeah, pretty strange. Sure. I mean, I love sushi. Like, yeah, anyone, go back and listen to our sushi podcast. Yeah, but uh, I've never had mercurial or mercury poisoning.
0: So Chuck, up next is one of my favorites, but I could find almost nothing more on this. I found that it it did, in fact, exist. Yeah, me too. And there's schematics and stuff on the on the internet, but the whirling chair. There's not much to it.
1: No. Um, again, mid-19th century, when um, the mentally ill were treated very poorly, Yeah. locked away, put in iron cages. Um, they had one thing I found called a tranquilizing chair. And it's basically, it looks like an electric chair. You're just sitting up completely strapped in, um, but you have a box over your head.
0: Well, what's <laughs> funny is, is that was one of the more humane Techniques for treating mental illness. Yeah. That was like the result of the, the, um, humanism progressive movement from the mid 19th century. That's crazy and sad. Oh, yeah. The history of the treatment of mental illness, not just like, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. It just across the ages is really, really sad.
1: Yeah. Very misunderstood and still is in a lot of ways, I think. Um, but the, the whirling chair was, uh, It was not a lobotomy. It was not an ice shower Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or a laxative.
0: Or an insulin coma. Or
1: an insulin coma. It was much better. It was a chair with a spring and lever system, basically, where they, um, it looks like they had a, uh, like a, it was hooked up to a.
0: Like a crank?
1: Yeah, like a crank that you basically just spun these people around until they passed out.
0: Yeah. And based on the schematics I saw, if you were the operator, you had to wear pantaloons. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's right. And apparently they would say uh, it would cure your schizophrenia um, because it would shuffle the contents of your brain in just the right way.
0: Yeah. Like imagine being strapped to a chair that was spun around where you became so dizzy that you passed out. Yeah. And on top of it, you have schizophrenia.
1: Right. And then on top of that, they came
0: out and you say, how are you feeling? God, Is, God. Are you cured? I'm, I'm cured. <laughs> yes. Can I please go home now? Yeah. Seriously. They're like, hey, at least we're not burning you at the stake for being a witch. (laughs) Um, I wish there was more out there on that,
1: too, though. I think a lot of this stuff is just it went the way of the dodo. So there's you know, not much info on it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. It's just there was such a thing as a whirling chair. Here's how it worked. And the reason why they used it was to rearrange your brain if you had schizophrenia. Right, so uh, we'll keep going because this is a lot of fun, yes, it is. But first, we have to take a commercial break, and we will do that right now.
2: Okay, I love Walker Hayes, he's amazing, he's so fun, such a great entertainer, and that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the Everyday Guy. dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
3: Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, StraightForward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a beginner now. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at hypergig for details.
0: And we're back, Chuck. And Chuck, do you remember... What did we record on yesterday where we were talking about antioxidant? Tea. Tea. Um, so remember we talked about how oxygen goes through and, and steals electrons from other, other atoms and other molecules to stabilize itself? Yes. And that's the process of oxidation? Yes. If you take that process and multiply it by powers of millions. Okay. What you have is radiation poisoning. Exposure high levels of uh, exposure to high levels of radiation is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Um, for for the most part, we do everything we can to avoid this kind of thing, um, but it turns out that in the um, late 19th century, early 20th century, there were a lot of products on the shelf that did the opposite that introduced radiation in the form of radium. Yeah. Um, in the in the hopes that it would promote health and cure disease.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mary and Pierre Curie discovered it in 1898. And by 1910, um, the U.S. was manufacturing synthetic radium yeah. uh, to use in such things like um, radium chocolata yeah. from Birkin Brown it was uh, or radium bread from the Hitman Block Bakery.
0: Radium bread. It was bread baked with radium water and popular until
1: 1936.
0: And radium water was a big thing. The reason why it was a big thing, apparently, it kicked all of this off. Because there are natural spas in places like Hot Springs, Arkansas, Mm -hmm. Um, and somebody started investigating the waters and found radon there. They said, well, radon, that's radioactive. Where can we find that? They said, how about radium? So they started putting radium in everything.
1: Yeah, they had – here's some of the other products, and you can look these up. They're a lot of fun when you look at these old-school ads, you know. (laughs) Uh, For the Revigator, it was a – um, a radium-laced bucket, basically, uh, with a little spigot. It's like a little water tank that oh, okay. holds your water. So
0: it just introduced radiation to you, whatever water you put in.
1: Yep, or you could get what they called the a radium coin mm-hmm. that you could just drop like an Alka-Seltzer into your water. Oh, nice. Um, there was the radium scope, which was a toy in 1942 that uh, offered the luminescence. And the ad also said, it also doubles as a wonderful night light because it glows. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. It's was for kids. Wow. Uh, Toothpaste but from a man named Alfred Curie, who was no relation. Really? Even though he used that to his advantage. I'm sure. The Curie name. And he also um, had the faux Radio brand of cosmetics. uh, Rejuvenates and brightens the skin.
0: This also kind of brings to focus why little kids' chemistry sets frequently included radioactive materials, like in the middle of the 20th century. Because it glowed? Well, no, because like that, you could get it in water if you wanted to, or cosmetics, right. or contraceptives, or chocolate. So why wouldn't you put it in a kid's chemistry set too? Sure. So before I didn't understand that. Right. Now I understand. <laughs> so supposedly the trend really started to die off in the 30s, though, um, thanks to something called Radithor. And Radithor was a little uh, tincture that you would take. These little uh, couple fluid ounce bottles that were highly radioactive. They had just tons of radium in them, and what I guess one of the owners or one of the investors in the company, his name was uh, Eben Byers, he was a pro golfer too, I believe. <laughs> um, he very publicly died of radiation poisoning because he drank three bottles of this stuff a day. Wow. So after that, the public was like, maybe we shouldn't be doing this anymore.
1: Well, another thing they used it for uh, between 1917 and 1926, the U.S. Radium Corporation um, used luminous paint to paint clocks, uh, clock faces, oh, yeah. so you could see them. Yeah, and uh, workers were even taught to shape paint brushes with their mouths to maintain a finer point. So they were sticking the oh, paint brushes yeah. with the paint on them in their mouth. Man, and uh, they encouraged them to paint their nails, their teeth, uh, and to ingest it. But management suspiciously always stayed away and avoided exposure themselves. And I know there were a bunch of uh, lawsuits because of that. And uh, the other thing I found, too, was they used it uh, before Viagra and Cialis. There were, um, they called them Baugies, B-O-U-G-I-E-S, B-O-U-G-I-E-S um, radioactive wax rods inserted into the urethra.
0: Ah! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, for a number of reasons.
1: Yeah. Or um, they had like an athletic supporter containing a layer of um, radium impregnated fabric that you would wear if you had trouble
0: getting an erection. It's not nearly as bad as the rods. (laughs) No, no. All right. How about urotherapy, dude? So this one apparently is labeled quack medicine. Yeah. But there's a lot of. There's a lot. It makes sense intuitively. Yeah. So urotherapy.
1: Drinking or ingesting or having your own urine shot into your bloodstream.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some people inject it. Yeah, it's still a thing. It is still a thing. Yeah. Um, here's why urine is a byproduct of the blood. Um, and when, so in urine, 95% of your urine is water. Two and a half percent roughly is urea, mm-hmm. which is actually a, um, has antimicrobial, antimicrobial, antifungal, and antibacterial product or, um, Properties, yeah, and um, it also has another two and a half percent minerals, stuff like that, salts, things like that. Um, apparently, if your blood is toxic, you have toxins in your blood. Your body, cl- it, your body's triggered to clean it out, and your urine is clean. If your urine has toxins in it, your blood is cleaned out too. There's like this symbiotic um, feedback loop where. If one's clean, the other one's clean. If one's toxic, the other one's toxic. And that you can trigger a blood cleaning, your yeah. blood cleaning drive, supposedly by drinking your own urine, by reintroducing the toxins over and over again, um, your blood could be conceivably cleaner. That's the thinking behind this. Yeah. And there's actually, it, it, again, intuitively it makes sense.
1: Yeah, they—they they, some people still think it can stimulate uh, your immune system and actually fight cancer. Exactly. Basically, by making your your body, basically your immune system react more vigorously. Right. Um,
0: it's like running it through the ringer on purpose.
1: Yeah. The problem is, is there's no evidence behind it. Exactly. Uh, there have been individual reports um, of it stopping cancer growth, but no scientific evidence um, has come out in favor of it. But people still do it.
0: Yeah, and there's also been tons of uh, stories about people surviving for days and weeks by drinking their own urine after being trapped in like a collapsed hotel or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, there's still I, there's still I guess pockets of people who engage in urine therapy.
1: Yeah, and um, also we should mention that it is, does not help your jellyfish sting no, either. So.
0: I did, I did a don't be dumb on that. Oh, uh, really? It actually. Definitely makes your jellyfish thing worse.
1: Yeah, that's another one of those things. Like, why do people say that if it makes it worse? I don't know. It was that uh, an episode of Friends, for God's sake? I know. You know? And they propagated the lie. <laughs> Jerks. Who peed on who? I can't remember. I think, uh.
0: Didn't they all pee on Monica?
1: Yeah, I think Monica got peed on, but I don't know if it was everybody. Maybe it was everybody. Of course, they didn't show it. It probably wouldn't have been. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Courtney Cox. All right, this next one, um <clears throat> bit of a warning. It is sexual in nature. So uh, if you're listening, maybe you should go ask your mom or dad if you should continue listening. If you're a, a child. Yeah, an honest kid. Or no, if you're an adult. <laughs> you should... Call up your elderly mother or father. Yeah. Say, can I listen to something about the female orgasm?
0: Right, which supposedly, apparently, for especially in the Victorian age, but for centuries before that, um, was widely considered not to exist. Yeah. Right? Um, But, strangely, there was a medical procedure that women would undergo called um, a pelvic massage.
1: Yes. To treat, I don't think we even said, hysteria. Right. uh, Because women were hysterical, quote unquote.
0: Right. They couldn't have orgasms, but they could have hysteria. Yeah.
1: Which we should point out what hysteria was is normal female sexuality. Okay. We know that now. Right. But back then it was hysteria.
0: So somehow, somewhere along the way, and apparently there's there's evidence that in ancient Greece the pelvic massage was carried out. Yeah. But in the Victorian age, you would go to your doctor if you're a woman and get a pelvic massage and then you would be brought to what was called hysterical paroxysm, which is? Orgasm. (laughs)
1: You <laughs> which, me say it? <laughs> which didn't exist. That's right. Uh, they also, it was hysteria or wandering womb um, was what it was also called. Well, wandering womb was
0: different. Oh, it was? Yeah, that was like um, the idea. And apparently Hippocrates either at, at least espoused it if he didn't come up with it. That was the idea that the womb or the uterus floated freely inside the uh, woman. okay. And if it moved around too far, it could cause all sorts of other problems. Gotcha. So it's different than hysteria.
1: But the treatment was the same. Yes. Which was bringing a woman to climax. Right. A doctor.
0: A hysterical paroxysm.
1: Yes. And the doctor would do this um, initially uh, using his hands. And, um, you know, I read one article from the New York Times about it and it said there is no evidence that the male physicians enjoyed this. On the contrary, uh, this male elite Sought every opportunity to substitute, uh, other devices, um, or have the husband or a midwife, uh, come in and, you know, take care of business for them. Gotcha. So, uh, it wasn't some pervy doctor. There's just a lot of misunderstanding going on at the time. Uh, they <laughs> yeah, said, all, o- they, all over. They said by the end of the 19th century, 75% of women suffered from hysteria, uh, which can also be read as 75% of American women were normal sexual human beings. Right. And I guess the other 25% were just repressed and didn't know they should be or could be mm-hmm. normal sexual human beings. Right. So it's just crazy. They called it hysteria. It's um, And that it went up until the 1920s.
0: So you were saying that, that doctors were looking for any kind of substitute that they could get their hands on. Yeah. Well, apparently in the late 19th century, somebody introduced the vibrator. After that, it, it became a medical device originally when it was introduced, right?
1: Yeah, because it brought that uh, time to achieve the hysterical paroxysm down from anywhere up to an hour down to about ten minutes, yep. um, ideally. And um, you could buy them at Sears and Roebuck. You know, it was like you said, a medical device, mm-hmm. and uh, women loved them. And uh, by the 1920s, they started to appear in erotic films, and that's when people were like, "Oh, well,
0: this is not something we should use." This is no longer a medical device.
1: Yeah, which is interesting. It's all sort of backwards, isn't it? So
0: this one to me, Chuck, the next one, leeches?
1: Yeah, we talked a little bit about medical leeches before because they are still around, um, which is kind of hard to believe if you've never heard that little tidbit.
0: Yeah, this is why in the intro I was saying, like, hey, some of this stuff still works. Right. And leeches are a sterling example of that. So for a very long time, you know, barbers were originally called barber surgeons. Yeah. And they were called that because they would perform lots of surgery, which is why the barber pole is red and white. Supposedly, right. they would hang their bloody towels, and they would flip around in the wind. Mm-hmm. And the barber pole is symbolic of that. Bloody towels whipped around in the I wind know. outside yeah, of barbers. Yeah. Supposedly. That's the legend as far as I know. I, th- I think it's true. I believe it. But one of the things that barbers would engage in was bloodletting.
1: Yeah. Um, you remember the old "Try Out Live skit with Steve Martin years ago? Mm-mm. He was a barber, you know, this is in the 70s, I think, Mm -hmm. when he was a guest. And uh, people would come in for everything, and he's like, you just need a good bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) Like, everything under the sun people would come in for. Yeah. Let's just put a lancet in there and open up a vein. All right. See what happens. Yeah. And that's basically what they did. They would, you know, it was a more spiritual thing, like the evil spirits would be out.
0: Yeah. Through your blood. Or like we mentioned in the anesthesia episode, they would use that for anesthesia. Yeah. Induce stupor through blood loss. But... um. The, they wouldn't always use lancets. Oh, and apparently that was one of the reasons why George Washington may have died, was just too much bloodlighting. Oh, really? His doctor really, really put his foot on the gas with bloodlighting when he was that. on his deathbed. Huh. You yeah. should go to Mount Vernon. Didn't uh, you go? Yeah, I've been a couple of times. There was like a whole, they have like, I think there's the bloodlighting bowl that they used on him still there. Oh, I didn't even notice. There's a separate museum that's like brand new. I went to all that stuff. Is that where it
1: is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, I mean, you know, there is the bed that he died in right yeah. there. Yeah. You can go lay in blood it.
0: Bloodletting bowls right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You can't go lay in it. Um, but the uh, the it, it, rather than lancets, they would also sometimes use or very frequently use leeches. And they've been using them for thousands of years apparently for bloodletting.
1: Yeah, and uh, this was back when they practiced what was known as humoral medicine. Uh, based on the four humors in the body, mm-hmm. which is everyone knows because of the popular t-shirt we sell, uh, phlegm, yellow bile, black bile, and blood are the four humors. Right. What t-shirt do we sell? I was just kidding. We uh, should have one. Yeah, totally. The four humors just have that on there. <laughs> and then S-Y-S-K on the front.
0: Okay. We could be a big seller. Yeah, sure. Who doesn't want a shirt that says black bile and phlegm? Yeah, phlegm. <laughs> um, so... With bloodletting or with using leeches for bloodletting, uh, everyone who – I think it was the the Indians originally from India yeah. uh, who came up with this using leeches for bloodletting. And they were really on to something. Sure. Because like you said, medical leeches are still in use today. Here in the United States, they are an FDA-approved medical device. That's right. And leeches secrete something called Herudin. Hir- hir- mm-hmm. That's what I'm going with, Herudin. Herudin? H-I-R-U-D-I-N. I'll bet the guys from Sawbones would have said it right. <laughs> um, and in in their saliva, you will find Herudin, and Herudin is an anticoagulant.
1: hmm
0: Or no, it's a coagulant, yes. so it keeps you from bleeding to death. Right. Um, it, it has antibiotic properties. Okay. It's a numbing agent, and it's a vasodilator. Right. Yeah. Which means that it relaxes your your blood so it can flow more freely. That's right. But it also is an anticoagulant. So you don't bleed to death. A coagulant. All of this in leech saliva. Yeah. And they use it today um, for like skin grafts Uh and for um, uh, when they reattach limbs, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I think we had someone even write in and send us pictures Mm -hmm. of their medical leeches. Yeah. Which are in little vials. It's pretty cool it is pretty neat
0: but I mean this is an ancient ancient millennia old medical technique that is still to this day used and it's an FDA approved medical device now leeches are I just think that's really cool
1: it is super cool uh, you know because it means it's there's still an
0: open mind in the medical community oh yeah it's way open you know <laughs> we'll try whatever. Uh, we are going to keep going. I say we do all 10 for the first time ever. What about you? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're going to keep going right after this.
2: Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.
3: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, Time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a guillian man. Available wherever you will get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details.
0: All right, Chuck. We're back.
1: Yeah, man. We're taking it home with I'm just I'm doing some uh I'm taking some medicine, man. Some some cocaine and opium. I bought it at the corner store.
0: Yeah, and then you could buy your rig to inject it from the Sears catalog. Yeah, my cocaine kit. Yeah. And scene. So Were we doing a scene? I was playing myself. (laughs) Yeah, I was doing a scene. Uh, Apparently, you could get morphine, cocaine, all this stuff um, very, very easily. And in tons of medical or medicine and elixirs that you would buy over the counter in the 19th century.
1: Yeah, not just medicines. um, Cocaine was in a lot of stuff. Um, Most notably, Coca-Cola at first. Um, Oh, yeah. Cocaine tooth
0: drops, and
1: mm-hmm. you give your kids. Yeah, cocaine throat lozenges.
0: We did. You just reminded me. We did a gallery. There's a gallery on stuff you should know. Uh, like, um,
1: you have the cocaine poster, right? The the kid. Uh, yeah, cocaine tooth drops. Yeah,
0: um, it's it's like crazy medical ads or medicine, pharmaceutical ads from
1: yesteryear. We'll put that up when this is released. It's good stuff. Yeah.
0: But that one's in there, the cocaine tooth drops. And it's got like a little kid playing (laughs) playing happy because he's on cocaine. Yeah, playing vigorously. And look at this kid. Did you see uh, Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup for teething children? I did. Look at how wasted that kid is. Yeah, he can't even pick
1: his head up off the pillow. It's
0: hilarious. His eyes are half-lidded. He's like,
1: I love teething. Um, for the throat lozenges, the ad says, uh, indispensable for singers, teachers, and orators, to quiet a sore throat. <laughs> and to quiet the demons in your head. Yeah, they, or to add the demons in your head. Or how about this? Cocaine wine. Uh <laughs> The coca wine market was really big. Um, I've not heard of that. Yeah, the Vin Mariana was the most recognized and most popular brand at the time, but there were a lot of them. Uh, and that's just cocaine. We also talked about opium. Um There was something I saw another ad for something called Stickney and Pores, Paragoric, and McCormick made that the popular spice maker, and they even have the recommended doses for infants, children, and adults. (laughs) And it was forty six percent alcohol, and the rest was opium. Wow, ninety two proof, man. And I can't. Oh, is that
0: laudanum or laudanum?
1: Oh, laudanum. Yeah. No,
0: but that was like an opium alcohol mix, right? Yeah,
1: maybe. I guess it was laudanum. Huh. Um.
0: Is that how you say it, Laudanum? Yeah, I think so. Gotcha. It's not the same
1: as Dilaudid, right? That's
0: right. Different. But Delauded is an opiate, but it's like a, a, it's just a straight up opiate that's used for medicine.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. People just used to like put a few drops under their tongue, <laughs> right? And like it would Start soothe their child, or like uh, I know we've talked about the um, Soderbergh's TV show, uh, of oh, the Nick. The Nick. Is that on still? I don't know. I haven't kept up with it lately, but the, in the opening episodes, I mean, the doctor, what's his face, is like shooting cocaine between his toes yeah. on a daily basis.
0: I watched Ed Wood again the other day. First of all, it's even better than yeah. ever. It's a great movie. Bill Murray, so great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I i forgot Martin Landau is like a junkie in it.
1: Yeah. He's an opium fiend. What, what yeah, he, yeah. But he,
0: he injects it using his Sears and Roebuck opium injection kit oh was it sears and robert no
1: but probably yeah they used to sell lots of crazy things Mm -hmm. uh so yeah strong drugs available over the counter yeah until people wised up uh and started making strong drugs uh pharmaceutical style
0: right yeah they're like you can't have this anymore unless you come to the hospital (laughs) exactly (laughs) then we'll hook you up uh, how about trepanation man which you pointed out we talked about before in the lobotomy episode I think so
1: it's I know we've mentioned it at some point because we talked about the movie pie yeah where um
0: spoiler alert oh yeah big spoiler that's how it ends yeah well trepanation it turns out that um, people have done that there was a guy named um, Bart Hughes who was a uh, I guess kind of like a crazy genius from the 1960s We're just crazy. He decided that um, our brains originally were constructed for us to be walking on all fours. And once we started walking upright, the blood supply to our brain was diminished. Makes sense, in a weird way. He also decided that our skulls had grown to decrease blood flow in Mm -hmm. the brain. Yeah. And that the best way to counteract this was to cut a hole in your skull to allow more blood flow.
1: Yeah, that's what trepanation is, is drilling a hole in your skull.
0: Right, or cutting a whole piece, a square, a circle, like removing a sizable chunk. There's um, evidence of trepanation that goes back thousands of years. Like 10,000 years. Yeah, and some of these skulls show almost half the skull removed. But what's crazy is with trepanation, including Bart Hughes' own Mm self-trepanation, The patient frequently survived. Yeah. And this is long before anesthesia. We're talking, again, 10,000 years ago um, where people were basically held down and uh, somebody in, say, Peru or Mesoamerica or India or Russia, all over the place, this, this practice was carried out. Yeah. They would grab an obsidian rock and start shaving away at the scalp and then basically chisel out a portion of the skull and remove it to allow the brain to, um, well, either to allow evil spirits out.
1: Yeah, back then that was more of the line of thought.
0: Or it's possible that they were treating an injury and this would reduce brain swelling.
1: Uh, I found a great article in Vice. Um, they did an interview with Amanda Fielding, who in the 1970s trepanned panned herself. Uh, she was a follower of Bart Hughes, I'll bet. She was, I think. Uh, she's the director of the Beckley Foundation. Um, who does research into consciousness, man? Mm-hmm. And um, she actually made a little film of her doing it that right. you can watch. Um, it's it looks like Super Eight, and it's like super choppy. It's not very uh, intensive, but it, two two and a half stars, but yeah, two and a half stars, two two tomatoes. <laughs> but um, it does show her drilling herself in the head. Um, she said she was very cautious and prepared uh, very carefully, but she used an electric drill with a flat bottom and a foot pedal tested the drill on the membranes of my hand to see if it would damage the skin and then did it and made a film about it. And then she said, afterward, I wrapped my head in a scarf, uh, ate a steak to replace iron from lost blood and went to a party. And she points out that she's not advocating self-trepanation at all. Yeah. But she said it benefited her. She said there was a feeling of uh, of the tide coming in slowly and gently, very subtly. And one thing she really noticed was a change in her dream patterns. Her dreams became much less anxious but she also says that it could be a placebo as well. She acknowledges all that. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. I mean, this was the 1970s, and I think she was a follower of uh, that guy because she said that the loss of pulse pressure um, in the brain when your fontanelles close, basically, right, is the reason that she did it. Like, she fully believed that.
0: That's Bart Hughes all over the place. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. So um, don't do it, people.
0: No. <laughs> do we need to say that? I don't think so.
1: I hope not. All right, we got one more. You thought it couldn't get any weirder.
0: Corpse medicine,
1: a.k.a. uh, cannibalism.
0: Yeah, that's another way to put it. Which we did
1: not cover in cannibalism, weirdly, did we?
0: I'd be surprised. I I think think that was pretty comprehensive if we didn't. I don't remember doing it. Of course, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, corpse medicine or cannibalism is basically eating human flesh to cure disease. Mm hmm. And apparently it started out with the Egyptians Mm -hmm. who decided that um, if you ate mummies. Yeah,
1: or mummy powder at least.
0: Yeah. um, It could cure a lot of different diseases.
1: Yeah, um, like muscle aches and headaches. Uh, They also would rub human fat on, like topically on your body Mm -hmm. if they thought something was wrong. Mm -hmm. Drinking the blood of a gladiator in ancient Rome was uh, supposedly enough to cure your epilepsy. Yeah. How about that?
0: Yeah, drinking blood was a big one Yeah, just throughout the ages. Um, And speaking of mummies also, it it wasn't just food. There's this awesome Cult of Weird article about mummy brown where up until the 19th century, I think maybe even the 20th century, Uh um, mummies were used to make a specific type of brown pigment used in paints called Uh mummia. Interesting. Yeah, and then the artists started to figure out where it was actually coming from and they stopped using it. But mummy of brown came from mummies.
1: Is that still a color? I think, yeah. So you can get like bear premium plus M- mummy
0: and brown? Right, right. <laughs> I don't think it's made with mummies anymore, but yeah, I've Probably seen it not. before. I'd seen it before I read the article. Huh. So it's out there somewhere. Uh, yeah, what else would they eat? Fat, bones? Yep. fat, bones. Grind it up and eat it. And you'll be cured. That's there's right. a, There's a pretty cool Smithsonian article called The Gruesome History of Eating Corpses of Medicine. If this kind of thing rings your bell if you just gotta know more yeah yeah you got anything else no
1: you ready for a nap
3: yeah
0: (laughs) and this one yeah uh if you want to know more about bizarre stuff type the word bizarre in the search bar at howstuffworks.com and it will bring up this and who knows what else
1: yeah we got a lot of bizarre things in there
0: yeah and both of us just said bizarre so now it's magic listener mail time
1: Hey, before I read Listener Mail, uh, uh, I want to ask a favor, uh, Uh, for, I know, Songs for Kids is a great, uh, foundation run out of here in Atlanta, and what they do is they put musicians in children's hospitals and camps for kids with special needs Mm -hmm. and basically play music for them. That's awesome. It's that simple, and it's really neat, and, um... You can start a uh, fundraising page through your band. Right. So I thought, let me try and raise $2,000. Whoa,
0: that's lofty goal. I thought it was pretty small. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what it is.
1: So my uh, old man band, El Cheapo, we started a page, and you can uh, donate as little as $10, and that would really mean a lot to me and those sure. kids. So uh, just go to songsforkidsfoundation.org slash El Cheapo, <laughs> E-L-C-H, E-A-P-O. That's the band.
0: Do you have a song in particular you want to play? No. You'll play any of the 500 songs? I'll play any of them. That's a great attitude.
1: Yeah, just go to songsforkidsfoundation.org slash El and like I said, uh, donate $10 or more if you want, and help uh, El Cheapo reach their goal of 2000 and I really appreciate it, folks. Nice. All right, so listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this The or The, The, The or The. Mm-hmm. Greetings from Manhattan, guys. I just finished catching up. A few weeks of podcasts, I was excited to hear you mention the pronunciation of the in the folklore episode. I studied vocal music throughout my youth and in college. And one of the more important rules for my teachers that stuck out with me was about the word the Uh, word and word combinations can sound surprisingly different when they're sung versus spoken. So there are a bunch of interesting tricks used to counteract this. Uh, Diphthongs are used to emphasize two adjacent vowels so a listener can hear both while glottal stops. Create a discrete stop between words so they sound distinct rather than uh, like a big old mess of sounds. Uh, with the word the, the trick is to slightly adjust how it's pronounced. The should be used when it precedes a word beginning with a consonant, mm-hmm. and uh, the, sorry, and the should be used when it precedes a vowel. It may sound silly and bourgeois, but there is a reason for this. Uh, like Josh Guest, a phrase like the apple sounds normal when it's spoken, but when you're singing and your words are strung together, it starts to sound a lot more like apple." Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is weird and a made-up word, but switch to the apple and suddenly you've got yourself two fine words that sound recognizable, even when sung. Uh, next time you're listening to any vocal music, keep an ear out for this. I bet you'll start to notice this use everywhere. Big shout-out to my former vocal teacher, uh, Mrs. Alfarth. <laughs> A-U-F-F-A-R-T-H. Alfarth. So you would say... The Alfar. That's right. Not uh, the Alfarth. So she thanks her for making her such a nut about pronunciation. And that is from Nicole.
0: Thanks a lot, Nicole. Very nice. We appreciate that. Um, more knowledge. Just We just keep packing it in. It's oozing. If you want to impart some more knowledge, if you want to inject it like some sort of urine therapy into our veins.
1: Or botulism in our face.
0: Yeah, uh, you can tweet to us via SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
1: Hey, everybody, I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com.